Well, good day to you. It's Joel with the King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. That time, dear, what'll you have to drink? You've had me drinking enough today. <laughs> indeed, indeed. This is Where is the Love? I am Michael Ware. I'm Melissa Ware. And we're here. It's a Saturday night, actually a Sunday morning. And uh, we... uh, Have no life. Well, actually, we're recording this late because we do have a life. We had a... Uh, we had friends over for dinner tonight. We cooked a wonderful meal. Uh, Well, I cooked a wonderful meal. You... uh, 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 Um moderated a wonderful conversation uh the reason why you don't want anything to drink now is because you forced me to have chianti i force you to have chianti i force you to have grappa anything else did i was there something else espresso oh yeah um had a wonderful night but uh we're committed to uh, you all our listeners and so we're here uh the morning of the Buffalo Bills divisional game. I know you all have been tracking this with us. I know you're all invested in the Buffalo Bills' success as listeners. It's been a lot of fun to see the ramp up to the game this week. Wolf Blitzer had Coach McDermott on uh, the Situation Room. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. I did not see that. Uh, and well, there's just yeah. been a Booker T. The former pro- professional wrestler, who is a pretty good friend of mine, when I was uh, uh, in my lanyard uh, wearing <laughs> days, uh, I sat next to Booker T for an entire arena football game, and we just had a wonderful conversation. Wait. Booker T was in a promo video for the Buffalo Bills, oh. so it's like things are ramping up. If we beat the Chiefs uh, tonight, we. Uh, uh, I don't. It, it, it's gonna get crazy. It's gonna get. No, one hundred percent agree. I can we return to this the like hype around the Buffalo Bills. I feel like not a lot of people are gonna know about your lanyard days. Can you just explain your lanyard days really quickly? Uh, yes. Because you can't just bring that up because a lot of people are gonna be like, "What?" Okay, so um, I saw uh, a music video <laughs> for. <laughs> Mo money, mo problems, <laughs> and thought that it would be like well within my aesthetical range to wear. Uh, this this is the thing that kills me. I mean, so the whole thing should kill me, but um, but I wore for like six to nine months of my life a blue. Adidas lanyard, which was the lanyard I could get my hands on, with a Nike, so mixing brands, 
and blue and black, but a blue Adidas lanyard with a black, not a fedora. It was like one, one of those, those caps. caps that, like, but I wore it backwards. The Greatest Generation wore it, yeah. Well, yeah, the Greatest Generation wore them, but then... The Michael it, Generation. Yeah, brought it back. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, sure. And so anyways, this is what I was wearing when I was with Booker T, and I'm sure he... <laughs> still recalls yes. the wonderful conversation but yeah, back we had. to the Bills. Let's hope back they to win. the Bills. Let's hope they win. Because otherwise you'll be in a depression hole for like <sighs> weeks. Look, I just don't... Yes. I also want the Bills to win. I love Buffalo Bills. I'm also from Buffalo. Like, don't, don't get me wrong here. No, it'll be... It feels like this is the year. And uh, so, yeah. It, it, and it would stink to lose to the Chiefs twice. A hundred percent. So, okay, well, we're going to try and take our minds off the bills for, for uh, this podcast. Thank you for helping us with that. Uh, Melissa, anything you want to talk about before we get into the top five? Um, just so you know, it's 12, 14 a.m. right now, and therefore Girdle is available. Yeah, new Girdle. Uh, <laughs> I'm still undefeated. I still... The peer review is still out, but the, the, we're pretty sure. <laughs> The peer review is still out. But, that Michael is the best at it, yes. But I uh, may be uh, uh, gifted yes. at, at Girdle. Yes. Um, Yesterday we had a friend stay over. Every once in a while she stays over and hangs out with us and the kids. That and... was a very weird way to... That's a very... She's a, a good friend of yours who stayed over. It was, what? You made it sound like it was an arrangement. Every once in a while, we have we have someone who stays over and hangs out with us and our kids. I think only it sounds like an arrangement to you to no one else though. This Let's is a very good. This is a very good friend. This is a very good friend who comes over often. She was with us. Um, she Melissa, was with us at midnight last night. Cut we to all, the chase. We all played. We all we played girdle together. together. <laughs> and I was the last one, but I got it right. I'm undefeated. And uh, that's all I want to hear about it. All right. I don't know. Is there anything else that I want to talk about? No. Buffalo let's just Bills, get. Girdle. Let's just get to the top. No. Five. That's all. Yeah. What do we have? What do we have this week? Yep. So our first article is called "A Syllabus for a New World," and it's by Alyssa Wilkinson, who we love. Um, love Alyssa. Yeah, we love just love her writing. She's been at Vox for a while. Um, love her cooking. Yes, her cooking. Yes. Oh my goodness! Yes. This woman cooked me the best pork chop I've ever had in my entire life. Plus, her husband Tom's a sweetheart. Okay. Mm, yeah. M- uh, sorry. On to the article. Yes. So, Alyssa, back in I think it's 2020, she wrote. Um, Oh, I need to find it in the article. Uh, of course, I should have had the oh, um, a syllabus for the end of the world. And so now she's followed up with a syllabus for a new world, and it's about how art helps us process a lot of the things that have just been going on for the past two years with this pandemic, and art being a sort of catharsis or a way of communicating things that can't otherwise be communicated and a lot of the article goes through the new tv special or tv show i guess um station 11 which is based off of a book that michael you read and you loved 
Yeah, no, I loved it. Yeah, and so, yes, I I love this article. I mean, what I don't think she references uh, it in in the article, but uh, Alyssa wrote a book on Mm -hmm. the apocalypse with uh, her friend, our friend, uh, Robert Joostra, uh, called How to Survive the Apocalypse, Zombies, uh, Cylons? I don't even know what they I read the book, and I don't know what Cylons are. Uh, faith and Politics uh, at the End of the World. Um, okay, Cylons apparently are from Battlestar, so I feel okay about not, <laughs> not knowing what, what that is. Uh, but the book is excellent. Um, and so Alyssa has been thinking about Apocalypse in art in in life and um uh and so this article sort of uh, this essay gave her the opportunity to revisit the theme and um for for vox where she's been writing for a while now um and yeah no i i, I dug it uh, station 11 was an interesting read i think a lot of people have picked it up during the pandemic I think a lot of people have stayed away from it during the pandemic. You're one of those people. I am one of those people. I cannot deal with, I cannot watch a lot of things. I I mean, I struggled with a a movie recently that we watched, um, the one with Olivia Coleman. What's it called? Uh, on, on the Elena Ferrante novel. The Lost Daughter. The yeah. Lost Daughter. And I struggled through that because, it, you know, being in the throes of motherhood, I was like, this is too close to, to, to things that I'm experiencing. I don't, I don't like art reflecting my actual, like, moment-to-moment life right now. Yeah, and so Station Eleven, definitely, I mean, it opens, I mean, 20 pages in, and you're in a pandemic. <laughs> but a um, pandemic that spreads wildly fast yeah wildly fast uh it, it is uh it it basically kills everyone that yes. gets it yes uh and uh but uh, it's interesting the hbo series i think because so the book was written before the pandemic which is an interesting interesting thing i think the book was published maybe like 2017 yeah, 2018 something like that right. um uh the series, the HBO series, they retool the book quite a bit. I haven't read any interviews or anything, but uh, uh, so I don't know this for sure. I have to think that the retooling was done in order for HBO and the showrunners to feel good about sort of putting this out into the world in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, and so the HBO series actually does quite a bit of work in my in my reading to uh, be a, a bit more aspirational and hopeful than the book is. The book certainly has some of those some of those notes. The theme of sort of uh, 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 survive, and this is something Alyssa picks up on: like surviving alone is not enough. Surviving is insufficient. Um, and the way that art can sort of give life uh, meaning that's in the book in the movie but the or in the series but the series does does quite a bit of work in my view to sort of have some brighter tones than the book does but uh, the, the book is uh, excellent uh, it's by uh, Emily St. John uh, Mandel um, uh, there's a book 
that's kind of a follow-up. It's sort of in the same world, in the same universe, but isn't a sequel called, uh, I believe, The Glass Hotel. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the series just wrapped up maybe in the last few weeks. Uh, and uh, I, I enjoyed it. I know you you sort of came in on a few episodes and, and just couldn't do Said, the nope, pandemic nope, vibes. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I just want to um, quote something in the article. This is the part that of what Alyssa writes that really resonated with me. Um, she says, but real hope, not the kind politicians talk about, but the kind that keeps you alive, requires something other than violence and forgetting. To put in Hannah Arendt's terms, living well, perhaps living at all, requires a more mundi or love of the world, the commitment to see the world, not as we imagine it to be, but as it really is, and to love it anyhow. Truly living means being willing to understand how we got here and where we could go to face our anxieties and agree together that mere survival is not sufficient. And she ends this sort of idea with this, art can give us binoculars to see in both directions. In parentheses, uh, Arendt dubbed art an oasis, a place to catch our breath and replenish our souls. And for me, um, I've seen this a lot in my professional life, um, taking art to talk about really difficult things, really yeah, traumatic sure. things, really complex things. A lot of the work that I did for a while was about bringing shows that talked about just stuff that you, if you sat around a dinner table or you sat around a boardroom and tried to talk about it, you'd get probably very sort of ideological, uh, just sort of disputes going on in those conversations. I remember in particular, um, we brought this play over from the UK that when I was working with the British Council called Grounded, and it was a single female acted show where it's this woman who is a drone operator, and it's about her experience of being a drone operator, about what it's like to drop bombs on places from thousands of miles away and the conversations it would bring up afterwards from anybody who was sitting in that audience talking about the sort of morality surrounding drone warfare at a time in which the sort of conversation around drone warfare in the media and in politics was just sort of very, you know, it's a necessity or, you know, it's absolutely horrific and we should not do it. But this showed it from the perspective of the person actually taking orders and executing on those orders and what that does to a person and their psyche and like uh, sort of their day-to-day life and how they carry that kind of death with them from thousands of miles away. It was fascinating to see just general audience discuss it afterwards and the thoughts that it brought about and the ideas it brought about and how it was able to create dialogue on a very controversial, complex topic. And so I'm glad that Alyssa pulls it out um, about how art can help us process difficult things. Yeah, when when I was at the White House, I had the opportunity to do some work and visit with students that were part of a wonderful nonprofit in D.C. called Life Pieces to Masterpieces. And the one of the main sort of thrusts of the nonprofit was this idea that by providing sort of access to the arts and environments in which um, young people who had seen some 
and been through some really traumatic experiences and didn't quite, couldn't quite process those uh, experiences. Um, they they used they used art as a way to um, help these kids cope and help mm-hmm. these kids work through stuff that would be difficult for adults to yeah stuff that is difficult for adults to work through and um, I remember being incredibly moved to spend time so I think I think that's that's really valid I th- I think another thing. Uh, Alyssa sort of pulls on here are the ways in which we um, the ways in which we try to find or give meaning to our lives in serious times yes uh, and how we consider what is meaningful and all of the distractions that uh the internet. She spends quite a, a deal of time talking about sort of the internet and just sort of the, the constant sort of saturation of uh, messages and ideas and, and distractions um, and sort of the anxiety that that produces um, uh, uh, and the sort of false meaning it offers. She also talks about. Um, she also talks about sort of productivity mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, accumulation as another form of, of um, uh, as another sort of route people go for, for meaning. And I kind of want to use that to transition. Uh, I, I actually hadn't made this connection until sort of we got into this conversation. But uh, uh, Yair Rosenberg for The Atlantic uh, wrote an essay called Your Bubble is Not the Culture, which seems to me to strike it, pull on some of these same exactly. threads. Exactly, especially because what he's talking about is um, a lot of uh, culture critics um, and how they kind of form the narrative and, you know, sort of what is going on when, you know, you take huge pop culture phenomenons that you know most people love or uh you know keep on coming back to again and again and yet you know the the critics you know with newspapers or other online publications or on twitter you know sort of pan that piece of pop culture or you know take a look back at it and say actually it wasn't that great after all or you know that the creator of that is destructive, or you know yeah. different things so, like that. Yeah, and so like the main examples he uses here are uh, Harry Potter, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda, Parks and Rec, and he pulls up some sort of cultural criticism that uh, are sort of these publications, uh, some more niche than others, but um, uh, sort of what he what he sort of relates as. Uh, sort of um, cultural criticism from a bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, he pulls out these excerpts of people saying, you know, the, the, the fall of Hamilton and its creator and star. Uh, uh, an insider article said, there is no good way to introduce Harry Potter to the next generation. 
uh, the ringer on Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's hard to think of a popular entertainer who suffered a starker whiplash in critical regard over the past decade. He's cringe. Uh, but then goes on, uh, uh, Rosenberg goes on to actually relate like how these people are doing. <laughs> and of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda, his soundtrack for Encanto, the new Disney film, uh, is the number one album on the Billboard 200, uh, 200 displacing Adele. Uh, Miranda's Tick Tick Boom is nominated for all kinds of awards. Such a good movie. It was a great. It was a great movie. Uh, it's hard to do musicals uh, well, and and yeah. it was. It, they did a really good job. Uh, uh, J.K. Rowling, of course, uh, is uh, the author of uh, the. Under the um, under the pseudonym, uh, she's the author of uh, uh, the Cormoran Strike Detective series, which is an international bestseller. Uh, the the Harry Potter store opened in New York. HBO is running several specials commemorating twenty years of Harry Potter. The new uh, what is it? Fascinating. Uh, what's the fascinating? Fantastic Beasts. Fantastic Beasts. Uh, the third one is coming yeah. out, and will probably. Be a smash well. at the box yeah. office like other, and so just uh, uh, on and on. He even uh, Parks and Rec had a reunion episode that did just as well as Parks and Rec did when it was on the air, uh, and was the number one show in its time slot. Uh, and so he really points out this sort of dichotomy, not just in sort of the. Here's the thing. I, I think there are there are some iterations of this for, there has long been a separation between and he, he touches on this a bit there's long been a separation between sort of what critics think is good art yes and what the masses yes. approve of yes and in that sense um you know i, I think one of the primary values a critic brings is a more critical eye, sure. you know, to, to art. More. And so, yeah. so like, I don't know if I want to, um, uh, so I, that sort of separation, though it can certainly be overdone, and he talks about sort of, uh, you know, critics uh, not viewing a Marvel film for what it's supposed to be yeah. um, and that kind of thing. But I, I, I think critics, uh, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I read critics to get sort of a, an eye from someone who understands movies, art better than I it. do, the history of it, the, the, I love reading and f figuring out like how they shot different scenes that stuff yeah, like I, I would never like pick that. up on. Yeah, 100%. Um, but what he seems to be zeroing on here is sort of, uh, critics, uh, trying to, sort of um, inflate the meaning of yes. their own work and sort of uh, make it political yes. as if they're doing politics proper yes. through art criticism. Yes. And he's very nuanced. He talks about Absolutely the ways nuanced. in which criticism sh should consider the political aspects of art. Uh, but but I was really interested by his, his argument that... Um, uh, that, that that critics sort of can um, uh, want to quote justify their existence and significance yep. uh, by um, actually I'll, I'll read this excerpt, excerpt. Uh, 
everyone wants to believe they're saving the world, myself included. Uh, I noted earlier that I went into journalism rather than film criticism because I felt vaguely embarrassed about pursuing something less socially significant. I suspect some actual critics feel similarly conflicted about their work. Watching movies and television for a living can seem privileged and indulgent compared to other vocations, especially in a world on fire. But once you start treating TV and film as politics, suddenly the project feels far more consequential. And he goes on to describe sort of this, um, uh, this uh, sort of um, imposing political debates on works of art can be, doesn't necessarily have to be, but can be sort of a, a sign of, of critics and I'd argue people generally, especially like the chattering classes, a way to sort of invest, uh, a, a way to sort of um, uh, make their take seem more significant than it really is. 100%. That you've just pulled out the entire point of the article where when I read this, I said, oh, this is such a great argument. This is exactly what's going on, not just in sort of art criticism, but in a lot of different areas like taking things and applying political lenses that might not be the best lens might not be the best analysis yes um i think basically people are going to this going to some kind of school and learning the school of twitter or whatever the school of online and learning oh you need to apply politics as a lens to every single thing and it's the number one lens it's the best lens to use, no matter what. And <laughs> I'm kind of always pulling my hair out going, that that might not always be true. <laughs> and so, right, so, um, so critically, what this looks like is uh, watching uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the latest production film, whatever, and having in your mind, oh, how does this relate to criticism of Hamilton is actually uh, regressive mm -hmm. uh, because that's what sort of, again, sort of the chattering classes uh, argue and now. Uh, the problem is that uh, not most people who are familiar with Hamilton, that's not their view of it. If you look at sort of uh, again, the, where it is on the billboard charts, the fact that it's incredibly salient in a positive way in the broader culture. Uh, and so, and it's not clear that the artist is responding to that criticism. And so you end up imposing a lens on, uh, on, on these things that, uh, neither the general audience that it, it's intended for, uh, nor like the makers of the art themselves are necessarily thinking of or responding to that can be distortive but then there's also this distortion of like um uh, uh thinking that um i mean exactly what you said melissa that that um that to politicize something a is inherently to make something more meaningful when mm -hmm. often when we see these kinds of things i think it ends up actually trivializing uh, it and actually taking away meaning um but but uh 
it also you know has has a distortive effect of its own yeah you know what so this is just me it is just my own thoughts here and like kind of maybe doing armchair psychology here but there's it's it's an interesting dynamic of what's going on right now i think humans have always gone through sort of cultural cycles where you lift up something for a while and then suddenly somebody says, oh, that's gauche or that's, you know, cringe, as we say now. I don't like that anymore. And everybody lines up and says, oh, yes, 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 that's, that's cringe, that's cringe. It's like you you look at people, if people look back on an outfit they wore 10 years ago and they go, I can't believe I even wore that. And then, you know, 10 years from now, they're going to look back on the outfit they're wearing today and say, oh, my gosh, I hate that because of trends and things like that. People want to be different and unique and they want to be the first ones there to say like, oh, I think Parks and Rec is actually not that smart or not that funny or the office. The office is constantly getting attacked now as well as not being that funny or whatever. Um, I think it's that type of thinking and behavior, but then also now you're just using politics as a sort of like lens through which to actually communicate that to make it sound more sophisticated when it's just kind of like, yeah, things come into trend and then they go and then they go out. That's just how a lot of cultural stuff has always been. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, I, I, I just think we should be, um, Look, we don't need to get into a sort of broader argument of mine uh, in in depth here, but I've I've argued for a long time that uh, it's actually when you um, when uh, we go to politics, or I guess in in these cases, sort of take politics into places where. Um, it's not necessarily meant to be or it can't sort of carry the burden that we're seeking to place on it. It's not just that you're, um, it's not just that, it's not just an argument about sort of, oh, like let people enjoy their Disney movie or whatever. Sure. Though there is that, like there is just like the, let people live. goodness, let people live. Exactly right. But there's also, I actually think people do great harm to the very causes they think that they're advancing. So uh, when you um, try to advance a political cause uh, through means and using tactics uh, 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 through sort of mediums that are just not meant to uh, sort of um, enact sort of political decisions, you often end up trivializing your own cause by trying to like import its meaning into everything. Uh, And I think we see that like quite a bit now. Like I think we see quite a bit like, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna criticize like a sitcom for not living up to your political standards well maybe it's not the sitcom that's the problem maybe it's your political standards and 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 all of a sudden uh, things that should be taken in many cases more seriously end up getting trivialized because the some of the main boosters of them bring like uh traffic their causes into every sort of conversation and and sort of area that that they uh that 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 they uh see the opportunity for uh, and so I, I really appreciated this Rosenberg article. Yeah, I thought it's a part it was really of his great. newsletter. Yeah, for yeah, the Atlantic. Yeah, they made it available for. Yeah, it's very uh, nice. 
for uh, uh, for for folks to folks to read without subscribing. And so we'll, as always, uh, we'll share these articles in uh, the episode notes. Uh, we're so grateful, uh, as always, for you all listening. Um, would urge you to uh, share the pro- podcast if you enjoy it. Leave us a review on iTunes. Subscribe at reclaiminghope.substack.com. Uh, and uh, it's been so great to uh, be able to uh, hear feedback from listeners every week. Uh, uh, Louise, uh, Miss Louise, <laughs> who uh, uh, is just the most wonderful, wonderful person, um, does a number of things, including leading a children's ministry uh, at, uh, at our, our church, uh, said that she listened uh, to our first episode. Um, she has an amazing podcast yes. herself. It's called Pray and Ponder, and it's really wonderful for your kids. It's a 10-minute podcast. Y- you basically Listen go, with your kids. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's like, it's a wonderful, like, gospel word delivered um, in such an ironic uh penetrating way by again like the sweetest person uh, she uh, miss louise said that she's expecting me to sing where is the love uh, <laughs> do you want to do that the, no not tonight oh, it's too late but maybe i mean the crowd is disappointed yeah, i know well if miss louise asks and uh, she'll get it at some point just not tonight but um uh and so we love hearing from from listeners melissa any anything uh, anything else you want to you want to close with I'm good. It will just leave them with a go bills and leave it at that. Yes. Hopefully by the time that some people are listening to this, they will know that the Buffalo Bills have won. Have no, be- in your souls defeated, that the Buffalo Bills have won. Defeated the Chiefs. Yeah. All right. Mahomes, the all the people who play for them. Mahomes. Yeah, Mahomes. <laughs> I said Mahomes. <laughs> what is it? Mahomes. Mahomes. Just Mahomes. Mahomes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I don't. I don't listen to any. Not listen. I don't watch any football team but for the Buffalo Bills. Like I don't know who plays for anybody else. All I know is that guy has so many commercials. He 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 does. When we beat him in the playoffs, Josh Allen replaces Mahomes in <laughs> in all the State Farm commercials. That should be on the line for this game. All right. Hey, this is Where is the Love? I'm Michael Ware. I'm Melissa Ware. So good to be with you. Talk to you soon. You got to do (laughs) the... I'm looking at you with a blank stare. Bye. (laughs) The people will miss it. I'm sure it's their favorite part.